Good morning. Today we have two scripture readings, both from the book of Matthew. So the first is seven, one to five. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce that you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your, own, out of your brother's eye. And the second is 5:21 to 24. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. This is the word of the Lord. We're continuing this week through our series together again. And we are looking at a place in the Sermon on the Mount, luckily, for us to delve into what does it mean for us to interact together as family? What does it mean for us to be those who live close enough lives with one another that there are going to be times when we are offended or that we offend? That there are going to be times in our lives where we will look at other people and question what actions or beliefs they have and wonder if they align with what we believe or think they should believe. How many of you know who Nick Cave is? Musician, Aussie. He has a blog called The Red Hand File. And in that blog, he has asked questions from different people. This week, he was asked his thoughts on what is mercy. This is what he said. Mercy is a value that should be at the heart of any functioning and tolerant society. Mercy ultimately acknowledges that we are all imperfect and in doing so allows us the oxygen to breathe, to feel protected within a society through our mutual fallibility. Without mercy, a society loses its soul and devours it. Mercy allows us the ability to engage openly in a free-ranging conversation, an expression of mutual consideration, and we can, to quote Oscar, Oscar Wilde, play gracefully with ideas. Yet mercy is not a given. It is a value we must nurture and aspire to, Tolerance allows the spirit of inquiry, the confidence to roam freely, to make mistakes, to self-correct, to be bold, to dare to doubt, and in the process to chance upon new and more advanced ideas. Without mercy, society grows inflexible, fearful, vindictive, and humorless. Our passage today said, do not judge lest you be judged. Judge not. When we hear that, 
we automatically go to that word tolerance. And we think to ourselves, oh, I need to sit back and allow those who are around me to do whatever they want. Que sera, sera. You live your life, I'll live my life. Whatever's good for you, great. If it's working out, awesome. And not worry about any ramifications that might come from that. We get pushed to a place of tolerance to say everything is open. And there is no boundary. The problem with this tolerance is that too often in our striving to be tolerant, we become intolerant of those who don't have tolerance to the things we think need to be tolerated. That's a lot of T words and variations of tolerance. You see, we look out and we say, well, this is how society should be. And so if people aren't tolerant of the way I think society should be, then they should keep their mouths shut. And we move to a place of intolerance. The other question that Nick Cave was asked this week was, what do you think about cancel culture? Now, cancel culture is this idea that we have the right when somebody is not being tolerant in the way we want them to be tolerant to cancel them, to shut them down, to cause them to lose their jobs or lose their position or lose their influence. It tends to go towards people who have influence. This is what Nick Cave said about that. He says to Francis, who actually asked the question, Francis, you ask about cancel, cancel culture. As far as I can see, cancel culture is mercy's antithesis. Political correctness has grown to become the unhappiest religion in the world. Its once honorable attempt to reimagine our society in a more equitable way now embodies all the worst aspects that religion has to offer and none of its beauty. Moral certainty and self-righteousness sworn even off of the capacity of redemption. So cutting out redemption. It has become quite literally bad religion run amok. So when we jump into this passage about coming together again and we see Jesus say, judge not lest you be judged, then we need to remember that he's not speaking of judgment. He's speaking of, I mean, he's not speaking of discernment, he's speaking of judgment. He's not saying that we don't have the mental capacity and Holy Spirit as those of us who are in Christ to recognize what is of light and what is of darkness, what is of death and what is of life, what brings wholeness and completeness and what brings destruction and fracture. We have the ability to see that. We know that there are things that are about our destruction and there are things about us being built up. And so he's not saying you can't look out into the world and to your brothers and sisters and see when they are stepping into places of destruction and not say you're stepping into places of destruction. He's not saying we don't have discernment. What he's saying is we are not the judge. How do we know he's not saying 
we can't use discernment. Because just a few verses later, he says, these dogs are doing this. He's making judgment calls and saying, you can make these judgment calls. These discernment understandings. So what is this that he's telling us not to do? Well, the first thing is that he gives us a little warning and he says, look, if you're going to judge, that's fine, but know that you'll be judged the way that you judge. Okay, so we need to be taken aback by that a little bit. If we're honest with ourselves, we are always more harshly judgmental towards others than we are towards ourselves. We will look at others and we will say, oh, they're just doing the best that they can, but we'll give ourselves even more grace. Most of us. Some of us don't do that. I'm not one of those, I can assure you. And so we first recognize that in this place of judgment is we recognize who the judge is. Right? That God is the judge. He says to us quite clearly that if you judge, you'll be judged the way that you're judged. That means I'm the judge. I'm the one who looks out and sees whether or not you deserve to be judged. And then he gives us this beautiful little analogy that we have that reminds us of our place, of who we are. He says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye when you have this gigantic log in your eye? First deal with the log in your eye, and then you can come deal with the speck in your brother's eye. There's a couple of things that we need to recognize here. And it reminds us again that this judge not is not a call not to be engaged in people's lives. Right? It's a call to be actively engaged in people's lives. But in the proper way with the proper attitude. Now, this log in our eye, this gigantic thing, we could equate that to mean we're looking at little teeny things that people have in their eyes, and we've got gigantic messes of lives that we've got to get straight. So we better get perfect before we deal with the little things that annoy us in other people's lives. Okay, yep, it could mean that. It could also be a matter of perspective. Right, The little thing that we see in that person's eye, if it is directly in our eye as well and it's the exact same size, it will appear as a log to us, clouding our vision completely, just as if a gigantic log was shoved into our eye. See, it's a matter of perspective. The very thing that we might be going and seeing in somebody's life, the very thing that we might need to have discernment to call them out of that's taking them to destruction might be the very thing that we have in our own eye. Yet we're so about getting them right and being the judge that we don't come to them in an attitude of love to say, I first have worked and allowed Holy Spirit to move this out of my eye so that now I can see clearly your eye. Christendom, when he is writing about this, he's an older, much older theologian than Nick Cavis, said this, correct him, meaning someone who's sinning, but not as a foe nor as an adversary extracting a penalty, but as a physician providing medicine. Yes, and even more as a loving brother anxious to rescue and restore. We need to be as critical of ourselves as we often are as others and as generous to others as we always seem to be for ourselves. Our posture is what is important in this movement of discernment. We're so fearful of that word judgment because it assumes that there's a penalty. 
It assumes that there's something to be meted out, that payment must be made. What Christendom reminds us of and this idea of discerning reminds us of is that we step into people's lives as those who are offering healing. Think of Jacob and Esau. Back in the Old Testament, Isaac's boys, twins, very different though. One loved to hang out with his mom and do all sorts of things that were in the tent and cook and, and, and make uh, other things. And his brother Esau, he, he liked to go out and hunt. One was very fair-skinned and one was red and burly and lots of hair. I identify, partly. And there's a thing that goes on between Esau and Jacob. Because Esau was the firstborn and he would receive the blessing. And Jacob was the second born, and he shouldn't receive the blessing. But in God's providence and good mercy and understanding, far beyond what we would think, he had purpose for Jacob to have that. But Jacob was helpful. He wanted to help God along. And he wanted to help his brother. So Esau came back from a long day of hunting, and he was hungry. He, he was starving. And Jacob being kind, said, you, you look like you need some help. It appears to me that you're hungry. Here, I, I've made this fresh pottage and porridge. Would you please have some? I, I'd like you to have some. Oh, oh, but wait. Before you eat and before I give it to you, give me your blessing. Put them aside just for a second. Think about you finding out that you have a friend who's not feeling so great. And I know we have social distancing and things need to stay by themselves now that they might not be feeling so great. But, but you take it upon yourself to bring one of those homemade remedies that you've heard about, chicken noodle soup. And you think, I'm going to take a good bowl of steaming hot chicken noodle soup to them so that they can eat that and feel restored. The place of judgment is like Jacob. I'm bringing you this help in order to gain power. I'm bringing you this help not to restore you, but to put you in bondage. I'm bringing you this help because it will help me. Versus you who go to your friend who needs chicken noodle soup and you bring it to them for restoration so that they will feel better. The place of discernment opens our eyes to see, first of all, that I am broken and I need grace. That I have a speck that looks like a log in my own eye. And I should not be shameful of it, but I should move to the Father and receive the grace that He pours out to me in order that I may now go to others and bring restoration to them, not to bring them into bondage. Interestingly enough, Calvin, in his commentary about this, said that he thought that word, judge me, connotes or gives a, a, a sort of a, a feel of a tendency for us to be curious about other people's sins. That, that we're sitting back looking at everybody else going, what sins are they doing? What sins are they doing? How are they getting along? What's, what's going on in their lives? All the time removing our eyes from the holy God and ourselves. So that we think, oh, 
but I'm, I'm going to look out and I'm going to care for these people. So I need to know what bad things they're doing so I can point them out so that they can get right. But our eyes don't look at our holy God and ourselves. Let's jump back to Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus is talking about anger and murder, and you've heard it said, but now I tell you, and he's unloading and bringing out what a kingdom citizen looks like. He says, look, you've heard it said, to those of old you should not murder, and whoever murders is liable to judgment. But I say to you, if you are whoever is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother is liable to the council. So... If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Be reconciled to your brother and then come to offer your gift. So as we are coming back together and we are living lives, we need to be those who are fully worshiping God, that are looking at His holiness and His magnificence and who He is. And in seeing that, we will then turn our eyes to ourselves and recognize our own brokenness. And in recognizing our brokenness, we will run to a place of repentance. Calling out, have mercy on me, that mercy that Nick Cave talked about that is beautiful and open and moves us to a place where we then can look out to the world around us, to our brothers and sisters, not concerned about the things that they are doing that we might disagree with, but but concerned about the things that are bringing them bondage so that we can bring restoration to them as well. Jesus says through Paul that we are of the ministry of reconciliation, that there are not things that hold us apart, but there are things that we are brought together in and part of that is the hard work of calling into people's lives to say you are walking in a path that leads to destruction and the way that I know that is because I myself have walked in that path that leads to destruction and it is only by the grace of God that I have recognized it and been moved by Holy Spirit to come to a place with God to recognize his love you see these this ethic This understanding that we're not judging, but we are discerning to walk with people brings us and makes us into people of reconciliation instead of damnation. We're not looking out in order to call out people. We are looking out in order to bring up and bring in people. We, we are not looking out in order to make sure everybody's got their life right because we know we never will. And so we are calling out for folks to get their life in Christ who makes it right and pure. See, kingdom people are called to love, to act in that love, but not to act like God. And when we move to a place of judgment instead of discernment, we are acting like God. Because He is the only Holy One. This is what Nick Cave says towards the end of talking about cancel culture. He says, cancel culture refuses to engage with uncomfortable ideas 
and has an asphyxiating effect on the creative soul of our society. Compassion is a primary experience, a heart event, out of which emerges the genius and generosity of the imagination. Creativity is an act of love that can knock up against our most foundational beliefs and in doing so bring forth fresh ideas of seeing the world. This is both the function and the glory of arts and ideas. A force that finds its meaning in the cancellation of these difficult ideas hampers the creative spirit of society and strikes at the complex and diverse nature of its culture. But this is where we are at. We are a culture in transition, and it may be that we are heading towards a more equal society. I don't know. But what essential values will we forfeit in the process? For those of us who are kingdom citizens, we lead the way in this beauty. We lead the way in this mercy and compassion that breaks forth the imagination of those around us so that they can see the glory that is in God. And we move to a place that is not about toleration of somebody, but a place of bringing in so that we can be confronted by the truth that is the holy God and be transformed by his glory so that we look like him. And in that, then, we can love one another deeply. Let me pray for us. Father God, be with us as we hear these words. We ask that if these words are not your words, that they will burn up and they will fly away. But if they are your words, let them take root in our hearts so that we can bring glory to you and do the good works that you have laid out for us before the beginning. Let us love one another as you have loved us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we respond? In prayer?